Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I want to take a regular listener's down memory lane. You know, I've had this program for 19 years now and 17 years ago I chatted with a young author about his book and I was really impressed with this book. It was only a a thin book but it was um, aimed at teenage boys and it was full of poetry and it was just so readable. Well, that book was called When Dogs Cry. His next book that he published in uh, 2003 was called The Messenger and also a fantastic book about this young man who thought he was the messenger and he delivered cards and did good deeds and inspired others to do good deeds. Well, that was the messenger back in 2003. Then in 2005, Marcus Zusak was back again and this time talking to me about The Book Thief. The Book Thief that had the weirdest narrator. The narrator was Death talking to you. Now you may have seen it in a, made into a movie and um, it was very successful set in uh, the uh, Germany, World War II a fantastic movie and also fantastic book well 13 years later it's taken Marcus Zusak to write a book, his next, next book and I think there's been as much talk about why it's taken as long as it has to um, just what the book's about. Each book gets bigger and fatter but still just as readable. I had the delight of chatting with Marcus Zusak through the week. When you hear the words, once upon a time, you get ready to sit and listen Bridge of Clay has a string of storytelling words that you become very acquainted with and read on to find out more. Those words, once in the tide of Dunbar past. Welcome back to Published or Not, Marcus Zusak. Oh, thanks for having me. Good to see you, Jan. <laughs> it's been a while, but oh, worth every minute. <laughs> oh. So, Once in the Tide of Dunbar Past, it took you nearly 600 pages to tell about the Dunbars. But what we need now is just a scant description of who are the Dunbars. Who are the Dunbars? Uh, well, they're a family of five boys and uh, and two parents, Penny and Michael, who have, in the end, Penny dies, and uh, or in the beginning, Penny dies, and, uh, and Michael ends up fleeing these boys. And so they live on their own in what they call a kind of a household of ramshackle tragedy and a, a comic book. <sighs> kapow of boys and blood and beasts and uh, you know they got these five pets as well and so I love the idea that we need chaos in our lives and uh, (laughs) and the Dunbar family definitely have some chaos in it. The whole three generations of Dunbars have got nicknames, nom de plumes, starting with grandfather the statue of Stalin, (laughs) then uh, we have the mistake maker, the Mm -hmm. mother, and the father, Michael Dunbar, what's his nickname? His nickname, well, Matthew, the narrator of this book, has nicknamed him the murderer. And it's a kind of ironic nickname in the end when you discover when yeah. all the pieces of the the bridge have been, you know, put into place, you understand 
that maybe it wasn't the right nickname. <laughs> but um, but I kind of like the idea that nothing is always what it seems and you don't know everything. And I feel like books are one of the last bastions now where we still require patience to get our greatest <laughs> reward. And, uh, and that's what I love about still being a writer of novels where you say, just hang in and hang in and trust me, you're going to find out and you're going to be rewarded. We're just going to run past the uh, the five sons and their nicknames. Matthew, as you said, is the narrator, Mr Reliable. And then there's Rory, the human ball and chain, yep. and also the letterbox collector. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Henry, the rules man. Uh, Clayton, the smiler, and Thomas, the pet collector. Five Brothers, and it was just a fabulous line, a comic book kapow of boys, blood and beast. Oh, just lovely. Well, let's look at Clay. How about mm-hmm. giving just a little sample of who Clay was? All right. Let's see. I'll fumble around and but, find that. Page three. Yeah, no, I've, uh, I've got it. So we've got... Uh, this was where we're introduced to Matthew who's oh, always okay. trying to understand Clay and uh, and so this is how he does it. Just correct me if I'm wrong here, Jan. <laughs> what was there to know when it came to Clayton, our brother? Questions had followed him for years now, like why did he smile but never laugh? Why did he fight but never to win? Why did he like it so much on our roof? Why did he run not for a satisfaction but a discomfort, some sort of gateway to pain and suffering and always putting up with it? Not one of those inquiries, however, was his favourite. They were warm-up questions, nothing more. Uh, We start with Clay having this race and thinking, what is going on here? <laughs> he he runs, he, he does this warm-up up the stairs, up to the um, graveyard and then uh, onto the track. And he does 100 metres and then what happens? Well, it's a 400-metre run and at, at intervals, at regular <laughs> intervals, at the 100-metre mark there are three guys there. At the 200 there are two, which are my two favourites, Schwartz and Starkey are waiting <laughs> for him. And at the in the final length... Because he doesn't do it so much anymore, but on certain days, Rory, the human ball and chain, shows up. And he's called the human ball and chain because there's just no getting past him. And Clay is... It all harks back to where Matthew, the oldest brother, used to train Clay to run the 400 and he ran with him and it was beautiful and he inspired him with things like Gallipoli and Chariots of Fire. And then Rory came in and said, if you really want him to get faster, you don't have to run with him. You have to try and stop him. Stop him. And there's a girl spectator and what she looks at this running and fighting, running like that, fighting like that, what sort of stupid stupid game is it anyway? You're all a bunch of dumb shits. (laughs) (laughs) It was funny. I I did. It was funny the... um, the word she uses to describe them, that changed so many times over the writing of it and I settled on that. It's amazing in the writing of a book, you know, the little problems that you have and, and that was one of them. But um, just that, that idea of everyone's wondering what Clay is training for oh, and no. he doesn't even know himself but he knows he wants to make one great thing. Look, his warm-up runs, as we sort of said, ended up the up the hill at the graveyard. And this is the quote. Clay stared across the sunlit district to statues, crosses and gravestones. They looked like runners-up trophies, every last one. I just kind of liked the idea. and That was one of the very first things. There are some lines in the book 
that I sort of discovered. I do it like if I read somewhere and I read a line and I go, God, I wrote that in 2007. <sighs> and, uh, you know, and in a way the book was built around those lines and that line of looking at the gravestones of run, they, they look like runners-up trophies. I, I kind of like just the idea that we all live these lives and we try to achieve these things and we want to live good lives and in the end we're all still just runners-up to death who takes the winning prize. And, uh, but that's what makes our lives worthwhile. That's what the looming shadow of death is what makes everything count. Yeah, like runner-upping. You want to win. <laughs> you, you don't want to be there. <laughs> Five brothers growing up in a house. The mother's died. The father, the murderer, has returned. He, this is the quote, he got everything moving forwards and all of us looking back. Well, it's interesting, I mean, just hearing you read that, I, I realise again just that that was always the, the idea of the book was to have a title sort of structure and we see Clay always moving forward to build this bridge but coming in are the memories of his family there's the story of his mum coming from Eastern Europe mm. to Australia, mm. of his dad growing up in this country town and how they meet. Because I've sort of realised, you know, that our stories are never still. They're always coming backwards and forwards inside us. And, uh, and even though we live our lives moving forward, we take all of our stories with us. And I was really, that was just something I really loved um, in the writing of this book was understanding that. Look, um... Well, I got to understand it and thoroughly enjoy it and cry a few times through it too. Now, um, we said Matthew's telling this story and he's mm -hmm. actually writing it the day after his wedding. Let's, yeah. let's, let's hear a little bit about Matthew. Sure. Let's see where we are. As it is, everyone else is asleep. I'm at the kitchen table. It's me and the typewriter, me and the old TW, as our long-lost father, said our long-lost grandmother used to say. Actually, you should call it the old TW, but such quirks have never been me. Me? I'm known for bruises and level-headedness, for height and muscle and blasphemy, and the occasional sentimentality. If you're like most people, you'll wonder if I'd bother stringing a sentence together, let alone know anything about the epics or the Greeks. Sometimes it's good to be underestimated that way, but even better when someone sees it. In my case, I was lucky. For me, there was Claudia Kirkby. Claudia Kirkby. She was a teacher. And uh, what, as Clay said about her, she was good with poetry. Get your <laughs> ass to class. <laughs> you know, you write of some very special teachers. She was mm. one. Mr Berwick was another. Mm -hmm. And I like how you um, were able to say that he gave you words. And uh, luggage. Luggage. Yeah, I love the word luggage. <laughs> came from lugged. You know, it was just lovely. And then their mother, Penny, how did she teach reading to her, her students? Was, that was one of those ones, and this is where story turns into a story, into, a sto into another story, where when she was a girl growing up in Eastern Europe, her dad taught her to play the piano and, uh, you know, the metronome, and the, there was this, always this line, the metronome went click. And... Uh, and that's how Penny teaches kids to read when she's a, an ESL teacher at a suburban Sydney school is she turns the metronome on and she says, read in time with this. And then later on when she's in hospital and she's really oh. fighting for her life, those same kids come back and they bring her the metronome. And, yeah. uh, and that was Henry, another tear for me, yeah. another hanky session. And Henry, Henry, one of the brothers, says, look at them, they're, they're all so hairy. Hairy. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
and they say to her, uh, breathe in time with this, miss. And, uh, you know, yeah. it's just – and I, I love the idea how stories then come back to us and that's what's meaningful. You think about – and I'm going off on a bit of a tangent now, but you think of watching the end of Gallipoli and just bawling your eyes out and it's because the story comes back. back. And when he I says, what are your legs? Steel yes. springs. And you go, oh. <gasps> And that's oh. why it hits you like that. Yeah, because the heart isn't. Uh, so this piano is such an important part in their life. You know, she, the mother insisted that they all learn to play. But Matthew, no, he was bullied in the schoolyard <laughs> because only poofters played piano. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a decision I made in the book to break the rules in a way that it's Clay's story it's, and Matthew's writing about, about Clay. And, and the book is actually kind of... He doesn't realise it, but he's writing this book to prove how much he loves his brother and uh, how much he's always wanted him to come home after everything that happened. And so he apologises and he says, I'm just going to tell a bit of my story now. And he tells the story and the the chapter is called Piano Wars and there's another chapter called Hartnell where he has to fight this kid, Jimmy Hartnell, who's been picking on him relentlessly and uh, it's funny, like, when all those sort of names are being thrown around and Penny says, you know, that's just bloody stupid, don't you? And, you say, and Matthew says, oh, yeah, that, that's, I, I know, that's just silly. He said it's the nipple cripples that really hurt. And, uh, and, but he does have to face him in that kind of schoolyard way. And in a way, that's the part of, you know, we've all been bullied and we've oh, all have yes. been pushed around at times and we all want to have that moment where we say, this is where it ends. Yeah, it's yep. time for me to fight back. Well, after she died, no one touched that piano. But when the murderer came in the very early part of the uh, story, the father came back, he went straight to that piano. He lifted not the part of the keys, but the part, the upright part. Mm-hmm. And what did he find? Yeah, well, he finds a packet of cigarettes there yeah. and, uh, and a coat with a, with a button in it. And uh, and also two books. Two books. And uh, and the the books are the Iliad and the Odyssey. And uh, and it just it's one of those devastating moments at the start of the book where we don't know why it is, uh-huh. but throughout the course of the book we start to understand why it is. And so just where you feel again, it's that title idea. It's a little bit like. When Clay leaves to build the bridge, he takes a keepsake for each of his brothers oh. and one of them is the Monopoly Iron The token. Iron, yes. And you don't find out until about 250 pages <laughs> later why that is the symbol for Rory and it's one of Rory's big moments in the book. Oh, yes. And, of course, along with that, as you said earlier, you give us groups of possessions that each of these uh, that appear in incidents and we have to read and read and find out, oh, that's right, like the pig. Oh, yeah. the pig. We, oh, we won't go into that. <laughs> <sighs> well, we can go into it a little but bit. <laughs> but the other thing, in the wooden box that um, – Clay is given mm-hmm. by Carrie, mm-hmm. there's also a book that she actually returns back to him. Yeah. What's that book? Well, there's a – so there are really – as I think about it now, there are there are three books that are mentioned as being important to everything. You've got the Iliad, the, the Odyssey. Odyssey, and uh, and co- you've got a book that I made up called The Quarryman. Did you make that up? I did make that, that I was title gonna up. I that one. 
And I think it, uh, yeah, people have said, I've looked up the claim and I couldn't find it anywhere. It was the same with the book thief. People would look up the titles of the books that Liesl stole and I'd say, oh, yeah, I made that up. And uh, because, and you do that for um, practical reasons as well because as soon as you make something up, you can do whatever you want with it. Mm. But mm. if it's real, you have to be very, you know, almost excruciatingly detailed about how you use it. And uh and I kind of based it probably on the agony and the ecstasy, uh, you know, the, the biography of, of Michelangelo. And, uh, but they just read this book and there's a whole story about how they get their hands on the book and it ties back to Michael Dunbar <gasps> and his love of Michelangelo and the first marriage he had before he met Penelope. And, uh, and these two kids, they go off in pursuit to find it's the quarrymen and it's one of the things that bonds them as... Oh. Uh, as perfect friends and uh, and Carrie really is kind of Clay's greatest love as well. But I, I like the fact that they bond over Michelangelo and the statue of David, but also the slaves, which are the statues that when you go to Florence to the Academia Gallery, the slaves are these unfinished sculptures that lead the way to the Dome of Light where the prince oh, stands, yeah, you know, yeah, and they're struggling their way out of the marble. And one of the big lines in the book is when Michael, the father, says to Clay about building the bridge, he says, I'd love to create something great like the David someday. And Clay says, yeah, but we live the lives of the slaves. And I think there's actually something beautiful about that. That's the way we all live. We all have these aspirations for ourselves, but we know that we're constantly struggling to get there because we're human. Look, I'm talking with Marcus Zuzak about his book, The Bridge of Clay, and, and all the men in the Dunbar family fight with their hands, but they also build with their hands. And, mm-hmm. this, um, and, and the book starts with Matthew digging with his hands in the garden. What does he dig up? Well, he goes out to what he calls, and this was, this was one of the big things. This was in about 2013 where I'd been, or, or long, or even later, 2014 or 15 actually, where I've been working on the book for eight years <gasps> or so. And it always started with Matthew on the roof talking about Clay and, uh, and telling the story. Mm-hmm. And then but I thought there's some. Finally, I just made a change and I went, I'm going to bring him into the kitchen. And the kitchen is where so much – the kitchen is my favourite room oh. in every house uh, because so much drama happens in the kitchen. So much of our lives happens in the kitchen. And uh, and he goes – he's typing on a typewriter inside the kitchen but he's gone and dug up that <laughs> typewriter from what he calls an old backyard in an old backyard of a town. And when I wrote that sentence, I went, this is it. Because I'm, I, I realised I, I just played. I wasn't just working on getting it right. I, I suddenly I was in the sandpit playing with the words. Yeah. And uh, and then just the idea that Clay has said to him, "But be careful with your measurements. Uh, if you get it wrong, you might dig up a dead dog or a snake instead." Which he says, and I did on both counts. But then he says, "But then I found the typewriter, the and typewriter. it was perfect, pirateless treasure." And uh, suddenly I thought, "Oh, this is actually it now." The I finally found it. But um, what you did, it's an, an important reminder because every chapter starts with this topography of mm. an old typewriter, you know, the, yeah. the, the, that, that not perfect mm. computer script. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and uh, there was just always the, I mean, in a way it's one of those, 
you know, you've got to suspend your belief that this old typewriter would still work with a, a you know, and does the ribbon still work? But it has been pretty lovingly wrapped up. And, uh, and you just, you know, and I just love the idea that things like a, a typewriter or, a, or a, an old harmonica or something, there's something, there's something old-worldly about that that I kind of old wordy um you know that i that i really love about those things and and it's there's a purity to it that you're just saying let's just be in a story and stories are what we're made of well look this is what penny this is the mother when she was dying she gave each of her five sons special time she took them to the some sport or a movie or a museum Mm -hmm. but for clay she did something different yeah she she sat him down out on the front porch and I think the line I always remember is that she gets him to make her some tea and he does and then but every swallow is like swallowing a reservoir oh. and uh, uh, the effort of it and uh, and she starts to tell him that there are more to the stories than than he knows <gasps> so and that she'll tell him one day and then later and it takes another you know it takes quite a long time for her to, to fill in the gaps and it's at two or three in the morning and she says you know your dad buried a typewriter once when he was when he was young, and uh, and she says, and these stories, you know, they're they they're what they're, they're what's made us who we are, and they're everything, and uh, and so and that was always one of the bigger bigger moments in the book. So and I like the idea that we tell all these stories of ourselves and we share who we are with 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 even those around us, but we often. You know, we often don't say everything and it's the almost everythings that really count. And I think that's what novels do. Novels tell us the almost everythings. They tell us they tell us the missing pieces, you know, and it's the they give us the, the parts that really count that are the rawest and the truest and the most difficult to say. I'm going to quote another line. Why did Clay find within himself a fresh hemorrhage of fear and guilt and doubt? It weaved through him, triple-tiered. Honestly, you know, you, um, you can't answer that. You've got to read the book to find <laughs> out why. Oh, it's uh, I, I think Clay's just always, you know, he's got the burden of the past on his shoulders and, and in his heart, really, for the, for the entirety of the book. And he's a character that... Asks a lot of himself. Oh, and yes. Clay had a special friend, Kerry Novak, the female jockey, who gave this story its name. The bridge will be made of you, the bridge of clay. And look, we get the, the history and structure of bridges too and with some beautiful words like spandrels and voiciers, springing and false work, crown and keystone, abutment and piers. We even get the history of the Lepont. De, de Gard. Oh, it's such a great and a devil really built thing. it. <laughs> the legend of Pont de Gard, where they said, um, you know, the devil came into town and said, "I can build you that bridge in, in a night." You know, <laughs> absolutely. It didn't have um, Achilles the donkey, did he? Anyway, the exactly. the affection between the brothers. Another quote. This time, Henry gave Clay a shove and a friendly friendly slap to the ear. It's a mystery, even to me sometimes, how boys and brothers love. Oh. That line just leapt out when Matthew was narrating the story, and there was a time where 
there was a, it was it was in a different moment in the book which I ended up cutting out and I knew I needed that line in the book because you think of things like Kurt Vonnegut's um, not Slaughterhouse Five but um, Breakfast of Champions. Uh, that book is called Breakfast of Champions or Goodbye Blue Monday. And maybe if you know if I was to do that with Bridge of Clay, it would be Bridge of Clay or how boys and brothers love, or it's a mystery even to me how boys and brothers love. And although I, it's interesting because I feel like Penny and Carrie, and to a certain extent, Michael Dunbar's first love, Avi Hanley, are kind of these, they're kind of the heart of the book. And the toughest people in the book are actually the women. Oh, and, uh, and, and they actually give such a life force for these. I mean, they've given these boys the opportunity to to live in in such a, a way that is full of life. So they're really important to the book for me, you know, as the person who wrote it. Well, we just touched on just such a, a small part of the book. There's so many more characters and oh, the beauty. Look, I've been speaking with Marcus Zuzak about, about his book, The Bridge of Clay, um, published by Pan Macmillan in Australia. A boy, a bridge, a miracle, and nothing else. Thank you very much, Marcus. Oh, thanks, Jan. Oh. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. It was a rather longish chat with Marcus Zuzak, but it's a very long book. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take to write the next one, but as you can hear from what he's saying, he must have done many, many, many edits on this and he was constantly hounded by his publicity team to finish something. But he did, and if you like, oh, poetical reading or or really it's it's boys and it really is the mystery of how boys and brothers love that's at the very core of this book well uh thanks for listening 